The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, the surprise of joy. A beautiful contrast in scriptures today between uh, Herod the king that had every opportunity from within, from the inside, to come to know the Lord who did not, to these wise men who came from afar who did come to know the Lord and the very difference in their lives, the very uh, different lifestyles and effect that uh, their knowledge of God and their knowledge of Christ brought to them. But follow with me. I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 2, 1 through verse 15. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written to the prophet, or by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me back word again, that I may come and worship him also. It's kind of like, you know that wasn't happening. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they, that is the wise men, departed to their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And then he arose and took the child uh, and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken uh, by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, I want to spend a minute looking at the contrast between these two folk, the wise men and Herod. About the only thing positive you'll say about King Herod was he was a great builder. And when you go to Israel, uh, most of the 
uh, ruins of, uh, that, are, that are left to look at were built by Herod the Great. He was a great builder. Uh, he did it partially for his own self-grandization. He did it partially to impress Rome so that he might maintain his own superiority and his own kingship. But he was a great builder, but he was a despicable individual, a horrible individual. Married ten times, he killed at least three of them. He had 14 children. We know he killed four, not more. He thought that his wives and his children were in cahoots to take his kingdom away from him. So if he got any hint whatsoever that one of his children, even a wife or anybody, was uh, threatening the kingdom, immediately they were put to death. Obviously we know that he killed these children in Bethlehem. Somebody's asked how many children, and there are all kind of wild speculations out there, but probably in the neighborhood of 20 based on the size of the town and what might have been between uh, two years' age and under. Now, while in one way that may seem like an insignificant number compared to other atrocities that have occurred, there were exactly 20 children killed in Newtown, Connecticut a few years ago. And you remember the hurt and the despair it brought all over the country. Well, if you were in a, a relatively small community like Bethlehem, and it was an atrocious act, these soldiers took these children, held them by the feet, slit their throat, and allowed them to bleed out so that the community would fear. Anytime the Romans executed, tortured, or did anything, they did it publicly and they did it in the most brutal way, fashion, because they never wanted to waste the opportunity to impress upon the people that they were the authorities, they were in charge. And so it was an ugly, ugly mess. And he had no concern whatsoever with doing it uh, because it was a threat. As far as he was concerned, one of those children would grow up and be a threat to his throne. That same year, Herod died. And he was so afraid that uh, nobody would mourn his, his passing. He was actually thought that uh, Israel would celebrate his death. So in order to avoid that, he picked out notable men, men of importance, in all of the communities throughout Israel and gathered them in a, in a concentration camp in Jericho. Orders had been given that on his death, all of those notable men would be put to death. And somehow in his crooked and depraved mind, he thought that that grieving in the, in the uh, nation for those would be a sign of grieving for himself. Uh, it never happened at his death. Uh, his heirs did not carry out the execution. But a few weeks, months after this horrible atrocity to these children, <coughs> Herod himself died. <coughs> we have a description from Josephus uh, how he died. And medical experts have worked on it since then because Josephus had no idea 
<coughs> what to call his dying, what the disease was. He just described the conditions of his dying. And uh, the modern scientists believe that he died of cirrhosis of the liver, combination of that and diabetes and kidney failure. And he caused an awful itching of the skin. And, and uh, as the blood flow began to shut down and that uremic acid built up, he was absolutely uh, miserable. And he ended up with what's known as Fournay's gangrene, which as uh, uh, the uh, Josephus wrote, it was a gangrene of his privies, of his genitals. It was a horrible, horrible death. This, the man, Herod the Great. Now the wise men, who are these wise men? Where did they come from? Well, they came from the area that's today the modern-day Iraq and Iran. It was then known as Persia. And they were wise men. In other words, they were scientists. They were astrologers, astronomers. All of that was kind of balled up together. They were philosophers. They were the wise men of the day. Now, if you will, look with me in your Bible at Daniel chapter 2 and verse 48. Daniel 2 and verse 48. Let me make sure I get there. Okay. Daniel 2 and verse 48. Now you remember the dream of the statue of the head of gold and the, uh, the brass uh, breastplate area and then the, uh, the iron and the clay and the, and the, so, the gold, the brass and so forth. All right. So after Daniel interpreted this dream and, and uh, made uh, uh, the, the vision known, verse 48, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Okay? Now, while this is still 450 years ahead of the time we're speaking of, and Babylon was taken over by Persia, and most of those wise men were spared and brought in to serve the Persian government as well, the influence of Daniel on the community of the thinkers at that time and thereafter, there was a great influence on them. So Daniel had this great influence on them. Now, Daniel 2 would have known the prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus as reflected in the star. Look with me now at Numbers 25, 17. Numbers 24, 17, excuse me. Numbers 24 and 17. Now, this is an interesting story. This guy named Balaam was a prophet, and he'd been hired to curse Israel he was an Israeli prophet, but he'd been hired by a foreign king to curse Israel. And guess what he found out? Every time he opened his mouth, God blessed Israel. He was the guy, by the way, that his donkey had more sense than he did. You remember he was riding this donkey to go on this mercenary run for, the, for this foreign king, and his donkey... Uh, refused to go. An angel got in front of the donkey, tried to block him, and the donkey wouldn't move. And uh, Balaam was just whipping his donkey, trying to make him go. And finally the donkey turned around and said, which one of us you think is the jack? 
don't you, don't you see this angel's trying to stop us and here you are beating me. Had a conversation with a donkey. Had, I got donkeys, but I ain't been guilty of a conversation with them. But anyway, Numbers 24, he opened his mouth four different times to speak a prophecy against Israel and every time God filled his mouth with a blessing for Israel. So here it is in 2417. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. It is a prophecy concerning the coming of Jesus. You think Daniel, a godly man, a student of the word, you think Daniel might have had privy to that prophecy? He might have known about that prophecy. And then when he gained superiority over all of the other wise men, do you think he might not have shared in, in their learning, in their, in their reasoning together? You think he would have shared uh, the true one God of Israel and the prophecies concerning the Messiah and the Savior? Well, absolutely he did. Because remember, he was the very one who prayed that God, when are you going to restore the kingdom? At what time are you going to restore the kingdom? And God revealed that prophecy to him uh, that talks about the time that Jesus actually came and uh, was offered as the king of Israel. So all of, if, if anybody, if you're ever going to study prophecy at all, there are two books of the Bible you always put together. One of them is Daniel and the other is Revelation. You have to weave those two together to try to make some sense out of prophecy. So Daniel, a great prophet, would have studied and known all the other prophecies and certainly he would have discussed those and passed those on to the wise men of his day who would have passed it on to the others. These men were from Persia. When he says they saw the star in the east, you got to figure out who was in the east. Whether the star was in the east or whether they were in the east. Because if they'd seen a star in the east, they'd be going the opposite way of Israel. But to see the star, they were in the east, then they followed the star correctly on its path. Now, Going back to our story, I want us to get the contrast as we look again in Matthew and chapter 2. And the first thing we discover is that as these two meet, the wise men and Herod, we discover, first of all, Herod was a phony. Herod was a phony. Now, if you're scared somebody's going to take your kingdom, and you're always got your ear to the ground to try to find out who may be trying to uh, usurp your kingdom, you have to make yourself friends with your enemies. You remember the old saying that you keep your friends close, but you keep your enemies closer. Why? You won't know what's going on 
You won't know what's on their mind. So what did he have to do? He had, his whole life was built on phoniness, on building himself up, befriending, and, uh, and trying to be a part only because he wanted to get the information he needed to protect his kingdom. And as soon as he heard rumor, he put somebody to death. So why did he snuggle up to the wise man? Now you got to understand that these guys were learned men. We do not understand whether there was two, three, one, seventeen, or a hundred. It's a nice song, We Three Kings of Orient. And uh, but first of all, they weren't real kings. And second of all, we don't know how many there were, but perhaps there was more than one, and they had with them an entourage of servants and helpers. All we know is when they got to Jerusalem, they had no problem getting an audience with the king. Now I'm kind of thinking if John Latimer drives up uh, to the White House in his excursion and gets out and says, I'd like to talk to the president, that might not happen today. You understand? I don't think I'm far enough up the ladder that they'll start stop the business of government and escort me into the White House so that I can have an audience with the president of our country. So when these guys showed up in Jerusalem, they were welcomed to a face-to-face sit-down with the king. But also, the king had found out they were looking for the king's baby. The one who was going to be the next king of Israel. And so, did he welcome them in order to embrace these searchers for Messiah? Absolutely not. He embraced them to find out what they knew. And they were looking for the Christ, the Messiah. That's that's potent. They knew what they were there looking for. They were there looking for the promised one. What did he do? He called together Israel. He knew all of the high priests. He knew all of the, the, the Pharisees, the learned men of Israel. And he said, where is this king to be born? Where is this Messiah to be born? And they said, oh, down the street there at Bethlehem. And here's what the book says in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of so forth. So they knew where it was. Do you realize that at any moment Herod had wanted to know about the Messiah? All he had to do was ask. And he never even asked. And here these guys came from this far distance and they asked and they got the information they wanted. But when they walked out of the palace, and I don't know this to be a fact, but when they walked out of the palace, I imagine they were just, man, that's slimy in there. They had to get that off of them. And they saw again the star. And what the Bible says did they do? They rejoiced. They were so glad. They were so grateful. So here we have the contrast. A phony and someone very grateful that they know the guidance of the Lord. The Bible says Herod was troubled. Troubled. Actually, he was paranoid. Paranoid. Oh, he just went berserk 
Oh, there's a baby born. It's going to be the king. It's not of the Herod family. What am I to do? Scared and paranoid. The disciples, I mean the wise men, what did they do? They went over and found Jesus and bowed down. They bowed down. There was no uh, presumptuousness about them. They were very learned men. They were important men. They'd had an audience with the king. They came into these very humble surrounds and they bowed down. Herod's over there strutting like a rooster, mad because there's a threat to his kingdom. These guys are bowed down honoring the king of heaven. Herod's jealous that there might be some threat to his throne and he's raging on the inside. He's already planning. He's, he's scheming on how he's going to kill the baby. As soon as he finds out where the baby is, what's going on, he's going to kill it. What are the wise men doing? They're opening treasures. They're gladly humbly surrendering their treasure to the king of kings and lord of lords Herod is in a rage he finds out he's been uh, neglected he, the, the wise men had been warned they went away in a different direction and he's in an absolute rage he gathers his soldiers go and kill, kill all of them two years old and below the wise men? No. They'd heard from God again. God said, go a different way. And they rode off with confidence and peace that they had visited and worshipped the king, the king of heaven. And Herod's in a rage, wanting to destroy the very baby God brought into the world to save them. A few months later, a few weeks later, Herod's death, very horrendous death, a horrid death. The wise men, the Bible doesn't say so, but I'm betting their cup runs over. They have joy undescribable. They have joy that's bubbling over. They followed the Lord's leading. They came. They worshiped the Savior. They offered Him gifts. They had wisdom of God. And they went home another way. Changed after they had met the Lord Christ. Now you got two choices this morning. You can be boss of your own kingdom. And, and I'm telling you, you can have a piddly kingdom and still won't be boss of it. You know, people, people are, are dead broke and they got they, they're money hungry. They're dead broke and money's their idol. We always think rich people ought to be the one that would have money as an idol. Either one can. I can worship and, and desire and scheme for what I don't have or I can protect and guard and, and, and worship what I do have. Everybody, you can have no kingdom but you're going to be boss of your own world. Or you can have it all and understand it all belongs to Jesus and, you, and he's still just king of your life. So you can choose whether you want to be a phony 
whether you want to be paranoid, jealous, live in a rage, facing an uncertain death, or whether you want to be a grateful, humble, sacrificial, confidence person of peace and joy. It's up to you. But it all centers around what you're going to do with the Savior, what you're going to do with the Lord Christ. You either bow and worship Him and receive Him and trust Him as Lord and Savior of your life, or you say, no, thank you, God. I'm going to keep on doing it my way. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, I want everybody just to be still before God one minute. Be still. And I want to ask this question, hopefully of the Spirit of God in your heart, you can answer it. Is anything off limits to God? You got yourself in a in a sin problem. God, I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna get out. I'm gonna come to you just as soon as I get out. You know you're living in a situation that's not pleasing to God. Well, God, one of these days, one of these days, I'm gonna straighten all that out. Or you know in your heart of hearts God's real. Salvation's real. Jesus is real. Lord, one of these days, you know, I don't want to die like I am. I don't want to die uh, out of fellowship. I don't want to die partying and carrying on like I am. <clears throat> one of these days. But as you sit right this minute, if there's any area that's off limits to God, you're bossing your own life. there's any area you hadn't surrendered to the control of God, you're trying to boss your own life. And you're not guaranteed your next breath, let alone tomorrow or any other day to straighten it out. Here it had a lifetime, an entire lifetime. And he died. A phony, he died paranoid, jealous. He died in seething rage and absolutely miserable. And these guys from afar, they weren't even a part of the Jewish community. They had smatterings of truth, <coughs> bits and pieces of old prophecies. And they came and with joy they humbly bowed before the Lord Christ offered their offerings of sacrifice arose in confidence and peace and went away in joy. Centers around what you do with Jesus. You see there was no area of their life they didn't surrender to him. They went on this unbelievable journey in search of.
They found, they bowed, they gave. They emptied themselves and acknowledged a little baby boy who was the eternal God. God in the flesh as their Savior and Lord. I don't know where you are right now, but I know this. God loves you. God has prepared for you a day of salvation. And today would be a wonderful day this Christmas season to trust Him as Lord and God. Open your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. Forgive me. I've, I've left you out. But I'm receiving you and trusting you now as Lord, Savior, God of my life. Some would have to renew that prayer. You know you were saved, but you've just drifted off. You want to come back to God today and be close. Grant says, follow after Jesus. You're a Christian. It's time to follow after Jesus. Get on with it. And others even praying about a church home. I don't know what's going on. You may just need to come to the altar to pray. We're going to worship in song. But if you need to come, you come.